All right, welcome back to Call and Shots. Uh, Seth Partnow, uh, almost certainly uh, last episode before the holidays. Uh, and th- thanks everyone for listening. I am um, joined by frequent and uh, longtime antagonist and, and good friend, by the way, antagonist in the best possible way, uh, Matt Moore, a hardwood paroxysm of the Action Network. Uh, Matt, thanks for a lot for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm getting ready, trying to wrap up the work before the holiday weekend, trying to get everything kind of wrapped up as well as I got uh, the in-laws coming in. So I got to clean the house and do all that kind of stuff. It's a busy time. It causes a lot of stress, but I try and keep as much of a positive attitude and be grateful for all that <laughs> as I can be. Uh, we are, because we live in the Midwest and we're in the midst of a bomb cyclone. Uh, my mother was visiting f- first me and then my sister and, uh, her flight has been canceled, so she is still here and might end up un- unexpectedly spending Christmas with us. So that's that's a change. But we're here to talk about basketball, not not family Christmas. Um, a discussion we've been having that kind of bubbled into the public uh, the other day was kind of our views about how players approach, how players and teams have come to approach the regular season. Um, on one level, I think this is maybe a little bit of a the interaction between the NBA schedule and rings culture has led to a lot of maximizing towards career length and playoff readiness at the expense of um, at times the night to night product. And frankly, the fans have I, have I kind of summarized what your concerns are? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, a lot of this kind of depends, and I'll say this, uh, maybe my biggest problem and not like the problem I have with the league, but something that I need to correct is uh, I wind up taking too much of what I think the fans want as an agenda rather than being like, you know what, they, they're they like for the most part, folks like it. It's basketball. Stars make, make big plays and it's fine. Um, this has been a, a slowly devolving thing. And I always wrestle with whether or not the issue is that I'm getting older. I've done this for 15 years and I'm experiencing the same slow jadedness that every long-term media member will experience with their sport. Or if there has been kind of a, a de-evolution of the product as it stands in terms of the games. Um, where I've really kind of gotten to is as the season goes on, I feel that there are fewer and fewer good games. When later in the season, the game should matter more. You should be competing for the playoffs. You should be competing for uh, seating or home court or whatever. And instead, there is a pretty, uh, in my opinion, a slow decline of investment, which, as you mentioned, like the, the schedule causes a lot of this is just you can't go hard for all 82. And it used to be like, you can't go hard for all 82. So you're going to have like nights where you just don't have it. Five burn the tape nights a year. Yeah. And for me, that number is crept. It just seems like more and more. And particularly what's been bothersome is there are a lot of nights late in the season. It starts around now and it goes to the end of the season where I find that I'm like, both teams want to burn the tape. Both teams are like, they're just there to get paid they're just there because there's a game scheduled and this is what they do and for me i'm like this should like you you should have an investment in winning the game you don't have to have the same investment as the playoffs in winning the game 
but there should be an inv- if you're not a, a team that's actively looking to lose, you should be invested in the outcome. And I have a hard time with where that particular dynamic has kind of gotten to in recent. So I think that I think that overwhelming majority once the ball is thrown up in the air, the players are on the court. There's a certain level of competitive insanity that gets someone to become an NBA player. Like there's, there are few outliers who are just raw talented enough that they can not be competitors and compete at this and compete and perform at this level. But for the most part, there's a little bit of a selection there. So, you know, maybe there's some rotation stuff. Maybe there's some guys sitting, maybe there's some minutes limits and, and that kind of can, uh, you know, affect the, um, I don't know what you might call the 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 how much are uh, how much are we focused on just winning this game tonight kind of globally. I think that that can be the case. I think once the game starts, you know, people are are there and in. Now sometimes that the the level of preparation might not have been, you know, whether, you know, not a good enough warm up, not didn't really study the scouting report stuff like that. Like I I can like the jadedness over the course of the season probably takes hold of that a little bit. But I think that I, I I don't think that necessarily detracts from your point that we it at least anecdotally it does seem like we are seeing because of the advent of sort of rest and load management and stuff like that we're seeing more incidents of I drove a hundred miles to see player X and then he sat and then I learned five minutes before the game started that he's not playing and now my son is crying. Yeah. And a lot of this for me is, um, so like I'm a social contract guy, right? Lock and, uh, and Javier Rousseau, like that whole stretch is, is very like, was really formative for me. David Locke. Um, no. no. And so <laughs> of that stretch though, I love David, um, of that stretch, like I, I do view things in the NBA kind of through that prism, which is like, there's an ecosystem and there are, in that ecosystem, like there are predatory forces. I think the owners in, in large part are, can be a little bit predatory, not in the word to, and not in the context that's used in the modern day, but I just mean like they want to make the most money and have the most advantage over the players as they can and the most control and et cetera. But like there's an ecosystem between the, the, the owners and the players and the teams and the and teams and their staffs, right? The executives all the way down into like business side and all that, um, the coaches, the players, and what ultimately kind of gets left out is the fans. And it's not that I don't recognize the problems with the fans, because the fans can oftentimes be parasitic and terrible. That's definitely a component that plays into the ecosystem. And it's something that, that I think everyone should work to try and solve. But the fact that it's very, very seldom, does it ever seem like there is this idea of like what we owe to the fans is a little upsetting because the fans are the ones that generate the BRI because if nobody wants to watch the games, you don't get the media deal. And if nobody wants to buy the jerseys, you don't get the, the, the merchandise sales. Like there's, they are part of the ecosystem and they deserve a level of consideration and respect that to be honest, it just doesn't seem like they are because they're all built upon the concept of um, hyper competitiveness towards winning a championship. And I get that. Like you can't do both. You can't be focused on winning a championship and want to want to win this game for the fans every night. I get that. It's about degrees to me is kind of the level is. We see in the late season, this is one of the things that the play-in has really done, that 
these games where the fans are, where the there were both teams are invested and are like, we need this game. Like this game matters. Cause I've heard guys even late in the season, even late say, well, we got a lot of time left. And I'm like, got 20 games left and you're five back in the loss column. This is not as easy. Like it is not as fortunate a situation as you seem like there is not that much time left. Um, and you kind of see that. That's one of the tricks of the regular season is it makes you feel like we always have time when you're constantly running out. But in those play-in games, there's such a high level of competition. There's such a good level of product. Those games are phenomenal. And I kind of struggle with, like, why can't we have, not all the time, but a little more. Just, like, a little more of that to add to the sprinkle. Um, I want to kind of go back to something you said, though, where you mentioned the, the uh, how guys are wired. Aaron Gordon said something the other day that really stuck with me. I was asking him about about the effort level and the how veterans have to pace themselves. And Aaron actually commented, he said, honestly, I disagree with you. He's like, I think you have to go hard every night. And the reason you have to go hard every night is in this league. If you don't go hard every night, you're going to get hurt. If you're not physically ready for contact, you're going to get knocked to the floor and you're going to suffer an injury. If you're not ready to sprint at a moment's notice and you try it, and you're not, your body isn't primed, you're going to tear something. He's like, you have to be into like locked into playing mode. Otherwise you're going to suffer an injury. I've thought a lot about that since he said that. That's really interesting. And I think that's, I think that's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to bounce off of that. Like the, the, the first is, um, I think some of that is addresses why it's a sit the whole game. Not all, you should only play 20 minutes is it's the the all the work that goes into like you know the 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 pre-game activation the post-game therapy that is you know that that doesn't count as part of the miles run on the tracking data but it's miles on the odometer for the player and just like doing like turning the engine off and on is 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 uh it, it is a stressor not just the, the minutes played but that on the other hand i well, I agree. I, I think, broadly speaking, I agree, and that I think dovetails with what I was saying earlier. There's still a difference, and I think we can all recognize it, between going hard and going hard. You know what I mean? It's 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 maybe it's a matter of degree, but you know, it's it, how many regular season games are are you really seeing? guys diving over the first row to save a ball you know like the the full speed maybe maybe at the end of a game like the full speed layout to to, yeah. gra- to grab a loose ball like you know what i think some of that is i think some of it is because that's not even really what i'm talking about i'm not asking for the for the nba to be like college um because this is what like when i started explaining the nba this way to people that were skeptical or didn't like it it actually really translated which is like i was talking to my father-in-law once and he's like well i like college he's like because you can always see that the, the effort that they're giving in and i was like okay so give me an example and he's like well like you know they'll dive on the floor my, and you know my in-laws is a coach and he under, he understands this kind of things and so like he i, he, and I was like well okay you have to consider this a college player has to dive across the floor to get that loose ball an NBA player has the speed, conditioning, and flexibility to sprint and pick it up. And it doesn't look like anything. It looks easy because that's how gifted and athletic they are. Also, and once there's I, never a loose ball in the first place because yeah. their ball handling skills are better. Yeah. And, like, 
you know, when I started explaining to people through that lens, they were like, oh, I never thought of that. Like, and then they would tell me I was watching an NBA game the other night and I saw what you were talking about. So you're absolutely right. Um, I do think a lot of this, honestly, for me, gets into the absence of when I when I really started to ask teams that have two days off or three days off. Right. They have three days off and they're practicing before their next matchup. And I ask them. Um, hey, like, what's the game plan for this? So I ask coaches, like, what's the, or I ask players, like, you know, what, what are the things that you're focusing on going into this matchup? And the players would kind of like roll their eyes a little bit and look at me and be like, there's not a lot of that in the regular season. Like, there's just not, like, we're, it's just another game. We're going to do what we do. I think this is, this is among the things that are the most uh, illustrative of sort of the, the pop school of coaching taking over the league. It's this, this, this point. Um, I, you know, I worked with bud for a year and it's, it's, we're going to do what we do to the best we can do it because over 82 games, I think we can, we can, if we spend the mental energy we have making sure we're the best us we can be and not trying to, you know, Oh, this guy likes to do that. And this guy and watch out for this. And every single night, like you can do that. But is your is is over the course of the season, is your mental energy better spent on executing what we're gonna execute or on trying to to pick at little flaws of the opposition? And this and is where the, a lot of this is where a lot of my my conceits and my work on regular season win total betting, this is where it all kind of comes into play. The Spurs are the first team that when I looked at it, I was like, how because it was like see like 2017. And I was like, how are the Spurs? 50 plus wins every year. How do they go over their win total every single season? Everyone knows how good they are. And so I was like, let's look at like who, what games they actually win. And, you know, you start looking at like, are they just great at home? Are they just great on the road? Do the, like, how do they do this? And then I stumbled upon it, which is they would absolutely wreck teams under 500. They just, they would have years where it was like 23 and three versus the teams under 500. And you're like, you realize like, oh, this is where that pays off. They, their floor is so high because they focus on what we do that they're not caught up in matchups. And they just absolutely, they're so good at the stuff that is hard for bad teams to stop that they absolutely get clearance. And they're able to just rack up these win totals. And that the regular season is more about managing your schedule um, than it is about winning basketball games against other against other teams. If we're good, bad, other. It's about managing your schedule more than anything. I mean, the, like the way you're describing it, you're. I mean, I, I and I understand why you're describing it in pejorative terms. But isn't the flip side of that like you know process over results? Yeah. And don't we don't we always laud teams for when they are when they can when they can see. Like okay, the shots the, the shots didn't go in tonight, but I we like the looks we're getting and yeah. we're keep doing what we're doing. Like we like when 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 that things because it's like yes, that's how it works. So as with all this, it seems like there's there's the positive and the negative side of it. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think where we where we find the best the sport has to offer is when we get that intersection of we're really good at this and they're really bad at this, so we're going to take advantage of that. And we're really good at this, and they're really good at defending this. 
So we're going to have to make this a tactical adjustment or we're going to have to execute at a really high level and like not do these other things that we branch off of from it in order to like do this. And a lot of this, <laughs> what a lot of this really gets into is I think a lot of, a lot about like when you see an individual shot that a player takes, like a, a pretty good player, that's not um, a Houston rocket, let's say um, teams, players that have pretty good shot uh, discipline, when they take like a random one and you're like, what was that? That always like will stand out to you in a game context. And then you like think of it from the terms of these guys play in, you know, on average, roughly over the course of time, you know, what? <laughs> 80, they have 8,200 possessions a year. And you're just like, yeah, you know, like they have all these possessions. That's, that's for them. But like they have all these, they have hundreds of thousands and sometimes thousands of possessions across the course of a year. You're just going to have some where you're like, eh, I'm going to do this right now. And then like how much that goes away in the playoffs and those types of environments. I think one of the, the differences is like, I'm not asking for playoff basketball in the regular season. I'm asking for there to be like a differential in a healthy amount of games between what we have now and the playoffs, like a nice middle ground. And that might be too nitpicky, but I do think that it would result in less resting it would result in better games because whenever you're the one thing I think you're most right about is the way these guys are wired. And this is one of the reasons I like the play in tournament concept is I just think if you tell these guys, this game has consequences, it's not just one of 82. There are consequences of this game. I think that the internal competitive spirit of them will trigger not always, but in some cases, and we'll get some pretty good outcomes. This is against I like I see what you're saying, but this is also against the backdrop of I think this season and last season overall the level of play in in the median regular season game has been you know substantially higher. I think it's higher than it was. Maybe 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 I'm just over indexing on like you know the the first season kind of post bubble, which was a little, which was a lot weird with kind of the sterile fanless environments. But I think going back to the median game is better today than it was six years ago. Yeah. I think <sighs> this is tough. Um, I think the level of play probably is. And so like, I'm battling a lot of, as I get older, again, this idea of, is this just what happens as you get older and you just like, this could be entirely well, be a well, you, you, you mentioned 8,200 possessions, give or take that a team plays. There's, you know, the amount of basketball you watched is a hundred thousand yeah. possessions. Yeah. Give or take. You probably, yeah. probably more than that. You probably, you probably end up watching maybe even close to 200,000 possessions of regular season basketball a year. Yeah. You've done this for 15 years. That's 3 million possessions of basketball you've watched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think, I think, so where yeah. I kind of get to is like six, so six years ago, I think actually is a probably good comparison because like the warrior stretch did kind of kick off an era of look, there's no real point to this. <laughs> like, like, look at golden state. Like there was a, there was that kind of feeling around the league a little bit. Um, if I go back to like d the heat era, when it, it did feel like teams were really felt like, you know, the Pacers and all those types of teams, um, but even then we had more tanking. Yeah, there were some right. bad, there were some bad teams back then though. The, the Bobcats, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, 
and I think the average level of play is higher because there is kind of this, I think efficiency as much as like people like Eddie Johnson would probably hate to admit it or would resist it to the ends of the earth. But there is kind of this drive of like, Hey, it's not a good look if you have 34 points on, on 33 shots. Like that's not a good look. Um, Like you do want to have like a pretty good efficiency line. It's not just about what numbers you put up. Um, And we're seeing that now where, you know, look at the MVP leaders list and you're like, these guys are all averaging 30 and they're all shooting better than 50% from the field. And they're all shooting better than 35% from three, in some cases, 40. Like, that's that's absurd. And we can talk about the defense and what that means. Um, but I do think that, like, the average level of play is very high. Um, and so you ask, like, well, then what's the problem? I think maybe this is it. The level of play is high. The level of intensity and competitiveness is lower. And I think both of those things can be true at the same time. Guys really execute and guys have smart game, you know, teams have smarter game plans um, for their team individually. And they have, the, you know, better athletes than ever. And there's so much talent individually, but there's less investment in, I want to win this game no matter what. Like we got to win this game um, on a night to night basis. I think that has maybe dipped and I'm trying to index and like, trying to find the the, the cross-section of those elements, because if we are able to find that, then I think the league would be in an even better place. And I don't care about ratings and I don't even care about popularity. It just, for me, it really is like, I want everyone to feel like that was an awesome game. I just watched an absolutely incredibly awesome game where both teams were dying to win. uh, And one team came out on top and we get those. I'm not saying we never get them. I just think we could get them a little bit more often. So I'm thinking, like, it is notable, like, you know, the Pelican-Suns games right now. Like, we there there are sort of certain, I think probably when we, like, with any luck, if it's, if it's unless, you know, uh, unless Boston makes every jumper and Milwaukee can't throw it in the ocean, like the, the Bucks-Celtics Christmas Day game, like, that that's a game that's going to have an edge to it. Um. Nugget Suns probably like you get there are these these games and these matchups and you can usually you can kind of circle them but then you watch a random game on a random night and something happens and everyone gets pissed off and and all of a sudden like the 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 uh, temperature in the room goes up a little bit and I don't know how you can how you can legislate that in and across an eighty two game I, I have I have an idea. Um, it's a tournament, right? No. Single elimination basketball, good. It's not, actually. It's not? You don't um, think so? I think no, you, my... you just talked about, you, you waxed rhapsodic about the play-ins. The play-in games, when they've been close, have been some of the best NBA yeah. basketball games. Not necessarily the best played, but in terms of, like, compelling. Like I agree. I like, look, I'd love to go that route. I just, it's it's like... I feel like if we're going to go, if we're going to take that kind of approach, we'd be, it's easier to sell everyone on playing fewer regular season games and removing that kind of dullness that, that sets in rather than trying to sell them on fewer, like less gate for the playoffs, like less gate revenue and, and less TV, TV revenue. Oh no, this, this is where, this is where like, this is the, the impetus, the thought behind the, uh, the, the, the the in season tournament like I yeah. I know you're you're not really a soccer guy, but there's like the notion of uh, 
of it's a it's a cup tie. It's a cup tie against a rival, and it's just like. Yep. We know we either we, we win and move on, or we lose, and their fans like make fun of us. Yeah, and then that there's that there is, you know, sometimes it's like yeah, whatever, blah blah blah. It's like you know, because yeah. there are the equivalent, there are the equivalent of like, you know, oh, tonight the the Jazz are playing, you know, Butler, uh, in in the in you know in the 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 second level cup competition, and it's like oh well, that's fun. They're gonna win by forty, and who gives a crap? Um, so it's not always that way, but that's the promise of it is the yeah. feel of that, like that, even though it might not decide the championship, it has stakes towards something. And, and I don't, I, this is the, the hard part is how do we, how do we do this to make, to make it so the players care? Yeah. Because I think if the players are super invested in the win and loss of that night, the game will be compelling. Yeah. That's and that's really the key. And and some of this where people are like, well, how do you make the players care? And this is kind of this is where I've I have kind of because I've thought about it so much. I've kind of reached this end conclusion of like, how about if they just choose to like, how about how about if that's what the money is for? Like, how about if like this is the point of playing the games is like the first point. I always say this. The first point of the NBA is to make money. The second point of the NBA is, is to win games like that's like ultimately like the if you boil it down, like that's where that's where it gets to. So. I I can I I would I think I would push back on that in two ways. One, the point of the NBA regular season is to even on the competitive standpoint is to win games, plural, not game. And right. I think I think that um, you know given the length of the schedule, this is something that like baseball players get very good at, um, like or, or or try to get is, is just to be able to perform that number of times. Yep. Got to you got to be able to flush it. You got to you got to be a goldfish you know, to, to yep. Ted Lasso. And so I think that there's like, frankly, I think that, I think that like chewing glass, Jerry, Jerry West style is probably not healthy. Healthy. For, yeah, I agree. Uh, for the majority and would probably negatively affect the performance of most players. Yeah. I agree. Type of players. I agree. And I think, um, so you asked kind of like, how do we generate that kind of velocity? Um, to me, and this is where ironically I go towards uh, hurting I'm just real. I really believe in this idea. If we get rid of a significant chunk, not all, but if we get rid of you play, you play 30 non cons a year. If we get rid of a healthy chunk of those and distribute those to your division opponents and you're playing teams six to eight times instead of four times in the course of an 82 game season where you saw them once in, in January and you're like, I think we lost that game. Like I've I've heard this conversation is like oh we're playing this team next didn't we lose to them last time yeah like back in November like that should not be it like you should be like no yeah we lost to them last month and remember they hit that buzzer beater and we should have won because of the turnover like that to me is 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 will help it is is I all the division rivalries have real meaning. Like rivalries are often built from the divisions and the NBA. It's like a hilarious joke. It's like, you know, Zach Lowe's always joking that he doesn't know which division teams are in. And I don't blame him because I, I, that's not a joke. I, I have to think about it. Every yeah. Time. I don't, yeah. I, I couldn't, I could not rattle the, the, the teams, the, the divisions in which teams exist off the top of my head. Which is funny. Cause I'm like, I always return you know me, I always return this. I'm like, yeah, but if you win your division, you win three-way tiebreaker and that can be home court. Like yeah. they, they do matter, but the NBA is really hard to have them matter less. And I'm kind of like, why? Like 
these are the because we've had weirdness of like a division, like a yeah. division's bad. Like five teams isn't that many teams. It is not that hard for four of them to stink. Yeah. Um, and I get that. And I like all those changes. But what I'm saying is like if you if you increase the number of division games, now you're running into this thing where you're just like, because this really is what I've learned. And we see this with the baseball series that they're, that they're doing, the, the, where you play twice in a home arena. Like, those get contentious. And one of the reasons is you're just – and this is, they say this in the playoffs. You're sick of playing them. You're sick of that guy swiping at you the way that he swiped at you for four games. You're sick of this guy elbowing Stop you the way touching he's touching me. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And so, like, if we just increase those things a little bit, to me, I feel like there's a real capacity for – um, to boost some of the natural motivational, because you know you talked about how it's like not healthy and like a choice of them. I also think that some of it isn't necessarily voluntary. I think the players want to get up, and Draymond touched on this in that clip that I've shared over and over, which is he's like, "You want me with this engine to get up for the Kings on a Tuesday?" You know, when it's like, okay, but if Draymond plays the Kings eight times a year, and you know, they smacked them the first three times. And then the Kings like irritatingly came back and like, there was a, you know, they, they just had that animosity and they won't always happen. But I feel like if you ask me what's more likely for Draymond to be able to get his engine up for an opponent that he's played, he plays eight times a year or for the magic who he plays twice if he's healthy in both contests. So there's something that I don't totally like, I understand what he's saying, but at the flip side, like the story one of my high school coaches told was he was a he was a small I forget where, but he was a, a like a smaller college center. Um and one night uh they they they're playing against and he's jumping center against Elvin Hayes. And Elvin Hayes is like he's a senior and he's you know all everything and blah blah blah. And first trip down the court, Elvin Hayes tries a little turnaround jumper, and my coach like blocks the ball and knocks it out of bounds and kind of gives him a look. And Elvin does a double take. Son, you shouldn't have done that. And proceeds to hang 50 on him. And so I think that in the course of a game, if the, you know, it's the little Bradford Smith, like even though that was apocryphal and, and MJ was a sociopath to, that invented things like that. But if a slight actually happens, like you're going to get the, en- the engine's going to get going. Yeah. But yeah. Then, of course, the flip side of that is is to some degree the NBA is like, I mean, with you saw it, you know, with the ridiculous John Morant ejection. Like, oh, can't have that. Oh, technically. yeah. You know, yeah. and that like that that was obviously like that was like just dumb and a bad look and and all that stuff. But it's an outgrowth of of you know if we want to really break it down of the fear of mal of the palace. Yeah. Recurring. It's true. I mean, and that's like a really good comparison, right? Because the mid two thousands was awful basketball, but they were intense rivalries. Pacers, and I hated Pistons, it. Like Pacers Pistons was before the brawl because it all changed obviously after, but like Pacers Pistons was, was appointment viewing because of how much those teams just absolutely hated each other. Like they hated each other, but it was appointment hate watching. Um, I understand, but on the flip side in the Western Conference, you had Maverick Suns, where yeah. like those two teams were at the top of the conference and constantly battling and had been in the playoff series. And so like those games were always super intense and awesome. And you had Suns Spurs and you had and you had Spurs Mavericks. You had like all of these kind of combinations. 
And I feel like now we're more to like, ooh, Clippers, Celtics. Those are two really good teams. And like they've played in a bunch of awesome games, right? Like if you look back at the history of like the last four seasons, I think like half of our instant classics have been Clippers, Celtics games. I wonder. But... I, I'm I'm wondering if the 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 way to get the best games now is like the you know the the Celtics and the Bucks play the, because it's on because it's on Christmas and it's like the the primetime game. There's there's probably going to be a, there, there, there's going to be some juice there. Yep. But they play some other time. It's sort of two heavyweights kind of you know, doing a weigh in almost. Yeah. Um, whereas the, the games that get feisty are like teams at different spots. And that's why Pelican Suns has been a thing. Yeah, I think so. But I also think that um And that's why Grizzlies anybody can be a thing because yeah. the Grizzlies still are like, you know, chip on shoulder. Yeah. But you talk about like the Grizzlies Warriors thing? That started in the play in notably, right? Yeah. Like they eliminated no, it started, it started and... before the play-in. It was really? so you remember they played they played uh, they played um, uh, I, I want to say like ten days before the play-in game, and it was like the Grizzlies were all over them, and they were doing the thing where Dylan Brooks was just leaning all over Steph yeah. all game, and then Dylan Brooks fouled out because Dylan Brooks fouls. Yep, uh, and then Steph went crazy the last couple minutes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like. The, there is kind of that the, these cross elements. It does take the right circumstances. I'm not saying you can manufacture it. I think one of the things that we've kind of seen though is like, I think we romanticize how often we got this these these things previously. Like maybe. I don't think I don't think the average NBA game has has ever been at the level of like maybe like I don't know maybe when you could just like lay somebody right. out. No, no, no. And this is kind of what I'm getting at is like, I don't want to return to those days. And I don't want even, I don't want them, they should not have to exert themselves physically at the level of a playoff game because those are so taxing in the course of 82. Um, One thing I did kind of think about though is you mentioned like Celtics Bucks. It's like, well, they're going to play again. How much better would the Christmas, not not a lot, but it would be better. Like, let's imagine that the, the teams playing on Christmas weren't playing tomorrow. And they had played last night, and now they have four days off before this game. I mean, I've been I've been an advocate of if you're going to turn, if, I've been an advocate of this for the TNT games for a long time. Is give them two days on either side. Yeah, and yeah. It, it like it, it it does it play hell with the schedule. Yeah, but if that's your marquee, we're going to showcase we're going to showcase NBA basketball tonight. Why would you do anything that got in the way of that? And they go the other way where they're like, well, sorry, you're going to have to play the back to back. And it's like, are you the, why? Why on earth would you be like, hey, here's your market. Like, this is what we're going to give to the world. The, the fans that don't have league pass, they're going to get to watch this one. The casual fan that's like, you know, post football, I just want to watch some sports. And this is what you're going to get. You're going to get a February post Super Bowl, both teams on a back to back. Like. Like, what do you, why would you do this? Yeah. And I get that how complicated the schedule is. I'm, I'm understanding, but this is why I'm saying like more drastic implementations need to be made. I mean, the, of... the, the tech there, there is the technology, like the traveling salesman problem has been solved. Yeah. So you can, and, you like, and that's there, all there I'm really saying is yeah. if we, if we increase which games matter and if we increase the amount of time that teams have to prepare for one opponent and we increase the familiarity 
of those opponents. I think that what we would get is a situation where it's hard to identify. It's harder. You're going to have fewer nights where you're just like, man, like that that team just didn't have it or that, you know, in, in key spots. Cause my thing is like, I don't, I, this is just me. I don't care if Boston has it versus the, the magic. I don't, I don't care. But if it's Thursday night and it's, you know, like these games on Sunday, like I, I, I want the best possible games out of those because those are marquee situations involving teams that matter. And we should have, like the games it's out the one, it's the one night a year where they, or the one day get like set of games a year aside from opening night, but opening night is like yeah. jacked anyway. Cause you, you know, the ring night makes things weird and you yeah. know, all that stuff. Um, but that it's, it's the, you know, they're like, you know, no, nobody's playing on Saturday and no one else, no one else is playing during those games. And we've made, getting a Christmas day game, like a, a badge of honor in the non Lakers Knicks division. And also I will say this, right? Because we talked about, there's a couple of issues here in terms of like the intensity level versus the, by the way, like uh, we haven't actually talked about this season at all <laughs> really. And we've been going 45 minutes. Um, but uh, so let's, let's shift to that for, for sure. the last little bit. Cause I think it's a natural segue into some of the Christmas day, but, but sorry, finish your thought. No, I think um, just that we've talked about a lot about the uh, about the intensity and about but not about the availability. And like, if guys were healthy, they would play on Sunday. They know that that's important. Yep. Um, like, there are guys that have sat out. I think in, in order to make themselves make sure that they are available on Sunday, and that's good. Like, that's how it should be. Um, and so I think a, a lot of this gets into um, what we need to have is the player. And this is where we just always return to the number of games. Is just like look. You know, <laughs> you need to be able to, to rest enough to where you're able to play in the. And I I feel like there's a little, been a little bit of bantering between the MBPA and the NBA on this publicly, where the league had to institute a rule that you couldn't rest on a national TV game. Like imagine that. Like imagine it being like this is a huge game. You're facing this this big you know this Eastern Conference rival, and you're just like, nah, I need a night off. Sorry, not not going to go tonight. Like we had that. That's well, crazy. But you didn't you, you like you're you're saying it's important, but I look at the schedule and you're not telling me it's important. Exactly. So I exactly. think there's I, I think the and I, I want to put a point in this here. And I think this is something I've brought up a lot and we've talked about a lot. This is just one piece of the of a number of different ways in which kind of local like like local maximums of, of this. I where we're we are a group. We are in charge of instant replay. We're very focused on getting the call right and not really thinking about what getting the call right is in service of. It becomes a means a means unto itself. We are, you know, we are resting our players when they need to rest because we are maximizing our own narrow competitive, which, you know, by and large is is correct. But setting up the system where that is in conflict with the overall product, like all of like the way the game is officiated the way dare I say people talk about the game in sort of the official media space, uh, whether it's like the over, over focus on transactionalism and, or like shitting on the product, which maybe is a function of the schedule as well. So all of these things, like we're, we're making a TV show here and, and so many people have are so wrapped up in their own little piece of it that there isn't like 
an agreement on, oh yeah, we ultimately what we're trying to make sure is that we get the best TV show possible. Yeah. I mean, like, and to me, again, this, this is anecdotal and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels to me like inside we've talked about the games and what happened in the game and the, even if it was just like basic rebounding or shooting or driving or whatever, um, 10 years ago versus now it's all about like, I don't care, man. They're not winning the championship, right? Like, let's do some silly jokes. How much of that is 10 years of the, these games, not really like them understanding the same thing teams do. Yeah. That that's where I get to is like, I don't think that that's a product of TNT's. I think if, if, if the drive from fans and the league was, you need to treat these games with importance because we care about them, then TNT and the guys on inside would respond as such. I think the league says this and the players say these, well, it's one of 82 doesn't really matter. And so TNT is like, why am I going to waste time telling you what happened in this game when there's just another game coming in a couple of days and we'll just make jokes. Okay. So there's, there's games coming in a couple of days on Christmas. Christmas is, for for many years, interesting. Like I, I think that, I, I mean, you remember back in the day when N- NBC had the had the TV contract. There just weren't net like there were the TNT games, but there just weren't like the national games, like the broadcast national games until Christmas, and Christmas marked the unofficial start of the season. Yeah, I mean that's like that's been like the going thing, right? Season begins on Christmas, and so. Yeah, um, of these games really being, and I will say this: like the players seem really excited and proud if they get to play on it. Like there is kind of this idea of it does matter, which I think is really cool. Like that's one of the things. And so, I, and honestly, it's too bad that we like the effort and schedule and injuries and all this stuff doesn't really play a factor this season. Outside of if you think that if there were fewer games, maybe Steph isn't hurt, um, maybe AD's not hurt. I don't know how you could really predict that we're going to have injuries on Christmas, but in general, I like the slate. It would be better with Wait, AD. And could you predict AD being hurt? I don't want to answer that. Um, <laughs> uh, did, did we all predict AD being hurt? Yeah. And that's more about him, right. Yeah. Versus like Steph feels more like just like, well, that's just how it goes sometimes. Well, it's an interesting question though. Like, like counterfactual, like if the NBA is a 50 game season, is AD a top, does AD become a top five player of all time? Right. Oh, that's a really like that's, good question. Yeah, like if it and it, that's obvious. That's obviously like it's a the, the it's not a different sport, but it kind of is. Like I think, like I've I've tried to do this thought exercise of what you know one game a week NBA looks like, what the gameplay looks like, how different is it, and what what are your conclusions when you think about that? I I think I mean I think it's just a I think it it I mean you know it it's just a massively different game. I think a lot of i think you you maximize much to, more towards like the 16 game player cuz you know we you you're, you have time and ability to pick apart everybody's weaknesses so a guy who can just kind of go out there like uh, i don't know who's a perfectly fine regular season player who pumpkins in DeMar. the playoffs demar i i mean may, i was thinking like maybe even lower down than that like but i think like demar it's more been i think i think DeMar on the right, you know, DeMar on a team where he wasn't the best player, probably be a perfectly fine playoff player. Yeah. I think the fact, the fact is that like he becomes, especially once you get to like the second and third round, he becomes the worst best player. Yeah. 
maybe I don't know. Trey might be one of those. I think after if we ignore the two thousand. Twenty-one run, right? Uh, Matt often talks about like certain, certain, uh, certain bits of narrative or suggestions. Matt Nip and that that Seth Nip right there, and I'm not going to fall into the trap. Of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. So okay, let's talk about this. Let's let's this season just a little bit, if you will. You, I, I'm most interested in talking about the Nuggets since you know you're there in Denver. Um, I picked the Nuggets to make the finals and lose to the Bucks before the season. Um, I get the sense that they, they are first in the West without really playing well yet, without consistently playing near their potential. Yeah, I think that's entirely accurate. Um, you know, I host Locked On Nuggets with Adam Mares, and Adam and I had an episode 10 days ago that said, what's wrong with the Nuggets? <laughs> and 10 days later, they're number one in the Western Conference, and we don't necessarily feel like we were wrong um, and to be honest, a lot of that comes from it is backed up by if the coach is saying these things, you're a little bit validated, even if the players are uh, admitting that things aren't great while also downplaying the importance of it. Again, kind of tying back into our original conversation. Um, Malone's been like, guys, we're 28th in defense. And like you could tell the Malone was Malone went from stressed to panicked to resignation over the defense. Where, like, literally, this is the first time I've ever seen Michael Malone in his Denver tenure say things like, I honestly don't know what to do to get them to play defense. I honestly don't know what to say. Like, he's done everything. He's he's tried. We're going to practice. We're not going to practice. We're going to do film. We're not going to do film. You're going to have shoot around. We're not going to have shoot around. We're going to increase the game plan detail. We're going to decrease the game. Like, he's tried everything. And they just weren't trying. And then they come out the other night versus Memphis and they absolutely jump on the best team in the Western Conference, and they play ferocious defense versus a team that was without Desmond Bain and couldn't punish their drop scheme, um, and missed a lot of shots. And they got a, and the Nuggets got a very favorable whistle on both ends. That said, it was their best defensive performance of the season. That follows up their second best performance of the season, which was versus the Hornets. And now you have two games where it's like, yeah, no, if they try, like this is what they look like. Um, I just did a, a podcast with Danny Larue. We always do tears. And Danny and I did um, this this time. We always change the, the criteria of tiers. This one was who's got the most runway in front of them? Like who, who's got the most room to improve over the course of the season? And I had the Nuggets in the top tier. They're my number one with a bullet because they haven't had MPJ and Jamal Murray on the court at the same time for a lot of games. Um, MPJ's missed and MPJ's going to miss time. That's part of it. It's like AD, but they've missed various components. The bench has been unsustainably bad, though we said that last year. Uh, Joker honestly kind of started off a little bit slow because I think he was coming off a Eurobasket. They've been on the road for most of the first part of the year. They have a ton of home games between now and the All-Star break, and they're number one in the Western Conference. Under the hood, the numbers are basically like, uh, this team's a lot closer to average than it is to elite. But it tells you, like, they've, and this is what Aaron Gordon and KCP both told me this in the last week. Look, we haven't played nearly as well as we can but we found ways to win. And that's what a lot of the regular season is. And so like, if they decide that they are going to buckle down during this home stretch and they stay healthy, I think they're going to rattle off a ton of wins. I think they're going to absolutely kill. They got some tough games coming up, but I, I do think that the nuggets have some of the most runway to become what everyone kind of talked about them potentially being at the start of the year. It's interesting. You, you, you like, 
I kind of feel that it's somewhat like similar about the Bucks, which and those were my two finals picks. Um, in that, like they've found ways to win without really, you know, without being really, great. Yeah, and Middleton has you know missed most of the season and hasn't looked great since he's been back. And um, I mean, I I don't want to say like hasn't looked great. I'm not trying to say he he hasn't looked like like Chris Middle like full Chris Middleton. So. Um, I think the difference I have with the Bucks, um, whether I'm, I had them top tier because of the stuff you've talked about, but I actually moved them down when we did the podcast. And, and one of the reasons is like, I just, what if this is just what the offense is? <laughs> right? Like we've seen it enough in the playoffs. What if there's like just diminishing returns and they've sacrificed so much wing depth and they like, they need, uh, the Crowder trade would make me feel a lot better about it, even though Jay's really inconsistent. You just need another weapon because right now it's just like, you know, I, I did the bet stream for that game last night. Oh, <laughs> uh, 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 this is this is a special request for or or a, for a, a Charlie who, who's who's listening. What did you think of the Joe Ingles signing? Hmm. Um. So the. <clears throat> I liked it conceptually, but I think one of the issues is that Joe was an elite defensive or not borderline. Honestly, he was pretty good defensively and he was an elite pick and roll weapon with the jazz, right? Like that was the thing is you'd have the start. It was really good. And then like Joe would come in and you'd just be like, we're just going to run pick and roll with Joe Ingles and go and murder teams. And then like the last year before the injury, Joe started to slide a little bit. Like just a little bit, and like I, I can't assess where he's at based off of, you know, this however many minutes, forty minutes or whatever he's played so far. Um, you know, he gets time for his his shot to settle in, but I just I kind of I worry that the shiftiness that makes him playable is enough to help them in that regard. Like Charlie said, like the defense is great. Um, and he's right. The defense is amazing. Like the defense really is incredible and there's so much that they can do and they've got so many like really good guys and everybody like really locks in. Like, and like now the conversation is broken Giannis and it's like true holidays still there. But at the same time, I just keep coming back to, you know, how many times is it just like, well, the shots just didn't fall. I, the ball doesn't find energy with them. It's just Giannis being spectacular, eighteen and twenty. And look, they won a title because they sacrificed some of that to become this version. And I, and I get that, but I do think that they need to find a way to add some wing depth. Maybe Marjan is that right? Like maybe Beauchamp is just like going to be is going to turn into that guy by the end of the season. That feels for him with where he's at in his career. So I have I have some concerns about whether or not Milwaukee's going to, you know, offensively regress to the mean. I don't think the defense slips. I don't think it's unsustainably good. I think they are this good. They're not, they are not the Celtics offense of defense, but I just don't know if their, if their offense is going to be good enough to where I can just be like, yeah, no, the Bucks should win the East. Right now I'm like, the Bucks could win the East because they have Giannis and this defense um, and all these really good guys. But I, I, I kind of worry that their institutional momentum may be flagging a little bit and they need an action or something. 
I think if 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 you wanted to boil down for me, what if Joe Ingles is just a four now? Like, there's no like he doesn't do anything for him if he's just a four now. Yeah. And so and and then and like think, Bobby was that, Bobby was terrible last night, but Bobby's been great in playoff games. Yeah. You know, and I think, but I think that gets back to sort of, you know, wanting, like you say, wing depth. Like we need, like who a guy who you can you can get minutes on on Jason Tatum that doesn't have to be Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton because you need certainly Chris certainly you need you need that. You know, we've we've seen him be deployed as kind of the main defensive guy, and it's kind of hurt his offense. Yeah, um, like that was a. That was, I think, a um, one of the, um, in addition to you know Fred VanVleet having a child, never missing a shot again. Yeah. That was that was one of the aspects that kind of turned that the twenty nineteen series against the Raptors is, you know, Middleton was one of the only credible guys that we had against Kawhi, and he did at t- he did at times some pretty good job, but he didn't have enough left for the other end, and we kind of needed that. Um, a lot like here's a good way to kind of frame the question. What if he just like had if Wes Matthews was two years younger, like because it 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 becomes a lot about that kind of role, right? Is you need a guy that's going to come off the bench and give you, and honestly, this is something that Phoenix has done really well. Whether it's Tory Craig or Josh Okogi, and Phoenix has its own problems, yeah, right? I- ironically, Tory Craig was a buck last year, and yep, yep, you know, yep, did not go well. And, no, did not go well. And so you need the right fit, but that's part of the equation, right? Is like, you gotta, is you gotta find the guy with the mold that fits and that's tough. But I, I, to me, that's gotta be a priority for them. Um, I'll just say this, like if they go, if this is the, if this is the roster that they get past the deadline with and that they're going to go for the playoffs with the, their margin for error, I think is way smaller than it should be with how amazing Giannis is with how good Brooke is playing. Um, I, like I would say Drew, but honestly, a lot of times with Drew, I'm like, man, save a little bit for the offensive end. Cause boy, d- your team needs some offense tonight. Um, and so like, that's part of the equation. I just, I feel like they need one more guy to be the kind of team that I think I envisioned them as at the start of the season. There's there, you know, it's funny. We, I, I kind of thought this about the warriors going into the playoffs last year. They were, uh, 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 um, that's right. Sorry, I, I misspoke. Tory Craig was a buck two years ago. I don't like who who knows what date it is anymore. Yeah, it's time. What's <laughs> time? Um, like the NBA is has been seems like it's been playing continuously for four straight years. So, um, yeah. Oh uh, no! So like last year, is it you're worried that they like do the like are the Warriors just like a dude or two short. And then it turned out like, like, you know, Gary Payton, Otto Porter and many Bielitsa were all credible playoff performers. And that was, so it turned out to not really be a problem. And even Kamingo, when they decided to, to use him was like, they got that, they got credible play from those guys. And I'm wondering like, you're, how much are you asking from Grace Allen, Javon Carter, or Wes Matthews, uh, Pat Connaughton, who has not had a good season. Uh, and who was a big part of like him being that guy was a huge part of the championship run. Um, I feel like a lot of this is, is, you know, they like George for whatever reasons they liked. And like, I used to really like George Hill, 
but I feel like they, they keep it like, oh, well, he can do this for us. And he just, he doesn't, he doesn't do much of anything for them. And that I think is, is part of the issue. I also, there are, that, there are a few too many dead roster spots there. Yeah. I think also you kind of said this, like, well, can these guys really be the guys for the Warriors? And they, they gambled and it worked out. And a lot of that's like, they can be those guys if they're surrounded by Steph Curry, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, you know, right. And Kevon Looney, if we're going to be if we're going to be fair, but um, I mean, but if you're surrounded by you know Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah, Chris yeah. Middleton, and Brooke Lopez, I mean, it's not like we're not t- yeah. we're not exactly talking about like you know the hardest context in the league. No, and I agree, and that's kind of the thing is like you need more guys. You should have some guys that you uh, you should have some more uncertainty because it worked out for you so well with Bobby. Like everybody, like our our entire perception of and like I as big as I am on Bobby, woo pig, like. Even I was like, boy, I don't know if this is like, if he's like a playoff guy. And then he was like, he just, he just, he stepped up to the plate. They need a little bit more uncertainty because the floor is not bottomless with Wes Matthews, but the ceiling is extremely low. And I worry a little bit that that that's the same with Ingles. That it's like, no, yeah, like he knows what he's doing. You know, he's capable, but you know, physically there's just not a lot. He's not going to bring spark. And that, to me, is part of, I think, what they need. And and some of that probably has to do with staleness and some other things. But I just kind of wonder if they need an injection of something to push them to the next level. They got time to get there, right? Because they're still, they're still kicking ass and taking names for the most part. But I think they could use, um, especially with where this, this construction of the roster is at, I think it's worth taking some risks in terms of um, some lessful elements to try and pay off with one more title. This discussion also brings up, uh, and I think we'll end here is a feature of this season, which I think is part of what is, what makes it compelling. And I think I haven't researched this. Uh, It's something I'm planning on looking at next week. If I have time, Um, this feels like the in season swinginess four teams seems higher than it's ever been. Yeah. Like the Knicks were about to, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? The Knicks, the, the Knicks were about to fight. Like I'm going to, you know, for maybe I'm exaggerating for fact, we're about to fire the coach. And then they won how many games in a row? Yeah. With, with no, like eight. Yeah. 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 All right. Quentin Graham's got healthy and RJ Barrett started making, but still like from, you know, God awful losses to all of a sudden ripping off wins. Now some of that is, you know, some 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 uh, good good old Jedi defense, but still. Um and, but that, but and like the Sixers and and the Nets are, you know, unstoppable now it seems like. Um but but I think the the point I'm getting to is we're we are in a season and it's the first time in a long while where you look at every team and you're like they are flawed. I agree that and you, and I think every it's team, every every possible contender is. I don't know. I, I like. Yeah. I. I. You know. From a a. You know. This is this is sort of an age old argument. Is the is the the dominant transcendent for, from the standpoint from the standpoint of your enjoyment. It's certainly it's certainly better that that there's more like parity at the top. But from the standpoint of the league. Would you prefer the super, not not the team of superstars, but the superstar team, yeah. or would you prefer like the uncertainty? If you get a final four of, and I don't think this this happens, um, 
<laughs> Luca or Steph. Okay. Well, either one. And both of them seem unlikely at this point. Uh, Luca or Steph, Jokic, KD, or Tatum, and Giannis. Right? Like, those are four legit teams outside of the Mavericks. Um, and then led by marquee guys. So you, what you've basically done is you've taken the LeBron dominance or whatever other star you want to put there, uh, Steph's dominance, 2010s, and you've kind of distributed it into the final four, where the final four is what matters, is you've got to make the final four. You know what I want to see as the, as the final four? I want it to be Memphis, New Orleans, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I think like, I want... Like, I, and and the thing is, is that completely fits what you're what you're what you're talking about. And like, if if there was like a uh, an NBA marketing exec listening, they just threw open their mouth. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is and, you know, well, okay, yeah. make a star out of John Morant. How about yeah. like he's doing it on his own? How about give him a little push? Um, I like the idea of Warriors Nuggets because then you do get the 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 push of the legacy of the warriors and you get the push of Steph's popularity. Um, Denver at stage because they've, they've taken the long road to contention, which I think is admirable. You've got Giannis and I I think I would want Buck Celtics just from the perspective of um, I I like the, I like the revenge angle of you beat us last year because Middleton was out. We'll see what happens now. Um, If Chris is healthy. And so like, you know, t- the Celtics being able to say, like, no, we weren't a fluke. Like, we, we would have beaten you anyway. Like, that kind of edge, I think, really matters. Um, my only thing with the New Blood is I'm always like, the New Blood's got to be ready. The 2015 Warriors were ready. Like, that team was ready to to win a title. They had competed in the playoffs for two seasons and were ready to go. Um, and they they had put it together and were legit. Versus, like, a Pelicans team this year, I'm like, they're phenomenal, and I have a lot of money on their overs and their for them to win the division and all these type of things. Because, but like, I don't know that they're they're not un- there yet. It would be for for a team with as little playoff experience as as the Pelicans. You know, a lot is made. That yeah, they they played six tough games against the Suns last year. That's their playoff experience, and their and best well, has none. And, and I mean, there's a couple of, of other teams that fit this description. The Mavericks last year are this, where it's like, yeah, they made the conference finals. Well, they made the conference finals because the Suns vomited down their legs, maybe. And the the Mavericks were not ready for that final that conference final series. They just weren't. They weren't there yet. They didn't have that team. The Blazers in 2019, when they faced the Warriors, who were with even without KD, the Blazers weren't there. Like they, you got to make sure that the final four are team, and it's hard because you get injuries. But you got to make sure that the, that the final four are the teams that are at that level. I will tell you, I'm starting to wonder if the Cavaliers are in that category of just like that they are ready to go ahead and make the jump. Because I, I've been like, well, you know, Donovan's got experience, but like Darius doesn't, and Jared Allen doesn't, and Mobley has none, and all these types. I of think things. Mobley, Mobley is the one where. Like I think that that like having a series where he gets he gets crushed, like because that's what happens to everybody. Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a shot. It's not a shame. Like you know, people like I don't think anyone remembers how Giannis's first playoff series ended. Ended with him right. getting ejected for yeah. for for you know 
for trucks, uh, uh, truck sticking Mike Dunleavy into the stands in a game they were losing by 40. You talked about the swings this season. Have you looked at the home road net ratings? I have not. Do it when we when you get a chance because it's nuts. And it's, I mean, for me personally, it's causing hell with trying to get a power rating on these lines because it's like, I mean, this is who they've been at home. Um, like the Grizzlies are plus 13. The Cavs are plus 10. Um, like all of these teams are just spectacular. Warriors, obviously. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, they're terrific at home. Um, and like, as you look at it, uh, and it's, it's, you're going to be better at home than you are on the road. That's to be expected. But like 22 teams have a positive net rating at home, including the Clippers, who have been awful this season until the last couple of weeks. Um, and I don't know what the number is across the board, but then you also have it on the other end where it's like you look at the away splits and you have teams like the Warriors and you're just like, good God, like this, this is, this is absolutely wild. The best net rating on the road is the Celtics at 3.3. Um, and you have the Warriors, the worst team in the league at minus 9.6. And you have a bunch of teams that are six points worse, uh, six points or worse on, uh, on the road. It's, it's is part of the swings is that six points seems is six points seems about right. Well, here's the other thing I would say though is more this is more anecdotally. Um, if you look at a lot of these teams, the wheels are falling off on these ro- on these road trips. Like the Jazz were rolling and looked really good. They, it, it took them not just that they get their asses kicked on the East Coast road trip, but then it took them like another handful of games for them to stabilize after. Uh, the Celtics still haven't. They went on that West Coast road trip. The uh, Warriors trucked them. The Clippers annihilated them. They almost lost to the Lakers, and they've lost three straight since. Like these, these East-West travels are are, are are the teams are having a lot of crises immediately related to those types of trips, which I think is exaggerating a little bit how these teams feel like they're swinging wildly. Like you mentioned, those teams, and we've been talking about this in the Slack. Like. I'm of the opinion that the Chicago Bulls are very mid. They're going to be a 500-ish team, probably a little below, but they're just not one of the worst teams in the league, which is what they've been when they were on the West Coast road trip. So it's like, for whatever reason, uh, the travel has really been been a, a bigger factor, and that's been re- reflected in the betting markets. Teams are ha- like handicappers are having a hard time figuring out how much to give teams at home this season because of the, the huge advantage there. Interesting. That is definitely something to look into. Um, you know, we could, uh, obviously, since we've already been going an hour and 15, we could go on forever. But I think both of us probably have uh, holiday-related family obligations. So uh, it's as good a time as any to, uh, to uh, you know, cut it off and uh, say happy holidays to you and to everyone listening. Thanks for having me. Always love doing this with you. Happy holidays to you and yours. Yep. Yep. Thanks, folks, for listening. I will be back at some point next week. Uh, once I figure out what I want to talk about. Uh, Thanks for listening to Colin Shots. Uh, Be safe.